Let me ask this question before we get started. Anybody here ever take Greek? No? Consider yourself lucky. <laughs> a lot of fun, a lot of, lot of work. Um, I'm going to share a Greek word with you this morning. You probably know what it means. It's phobia. It just means it's the Greek word for fear. And it refers to a panic that is completely out of proportion to the perceived threat behind it. And, and I got to share with you the top 10 phobias because some of them I expected, some of them I'd never heard of. Top 10. First is trypophobia. And I thought, is this just, I'm afraid to trip? But it's actually a fear of holes. And it's really weird, don't look it up because whew, it's bad. Um, next one is aerophobia. It's just being afraid of flying. Um, I'd rather fly than drive, but the number eight was misophobia. And this is something a lot of us have been afraid of over the last several years. It's a fear of germs. Number seven is claustrophobia. Maybe you're afraid of being in, enclosed in small spaces. Number six is astrophobia. I can't hear you. It, <laughs> it's a fear of thunder and lightning. Uh, maybe that makes you very afraid. Cynophobia, which would be a very bad fear if you're a mailman, is being afraid of dogs. Number four is agoraphobia. That's being afraid of being in open or crowded spaces. Number three is acrophobia. And I'm going to just tell you this, I can't. It's a fear of heights, and if it's higher than like a stepladder, it's not happening. Um, I don't know who's going to change some of these light bulbs because... <laughs> Not. Number two is aphidiophobia. Snakes? You don't, I don't like snakes. Number one is arachnophobia. And I think personally, it is spiders, but I think that, you know, snakes are worse than spiders because spiders are little, snakes are big and ugly. But I know there's one on the list that's not in the top ten that it should be, and it's coulrophobia. It's a fear of clowns, because they are the most evil thing ever. Um, there's two other phobias that I want to tell you about this morning. The first one is ecclesiophobia, and that's the fear of the church. And the second one is homilyphobia, the fear of sermons. And if you have those two fears today, you are in big trouble. But what I want to tell you is we've all experienced fear at one time or another. We've all been afraid at times. And one of the results of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that we don't need to live in fear any longer. Uh, we're going to pick up our text today. It's really after what we read last week on Easter, after the two disciples on the road to Emmaus encountered a risen Christ. And, and we see these two believers back in Jerusalem. They ran back with the message that Jesus was alive. And when they get there, they discover that Jesus has appeared to some of them as well. Uh, so if you have a Bible, I hope you do. If you want to open it up to John chapter 20, we're going to look at John's account of this event. And as we look at this passage, as we look at God's word this morning, we're going to discover five ways to forget our fears. So let's pray. And then we'll go to God's Word. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this amazing time of worship that we've shared together. Lord, just thank you uh, that we're so openly and freely able to praise you in song and music. And Lord, I ask that as we go to your Word this morning, that our hearts, that they're open to you, that we're receptive to your Word, and that we discover the truth that we as Christians, as believers, that we don't have anything to ever be afraid of, that we can forget our fears, we can forsake them, and we can get past them because we can live in total freedom knowing that we have peace with you. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for what we'll discover on, uh, in your word today and use it to grow us, encourage us, and live more faithfully and obedient to you and to your son, Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. So John chapter 20, starting in verse 19, our text, it says, on the evening of that day, now this is still Easter, this is still Resurrection Sunday, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, 
to them, peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven then. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, the first way that we're going to learn that we can forget our fear is we need to first embrace his peace. We need to embrace his peace. Uh, The emphasis here is in verse 19. It is still the first day of the week, the same day that Jesus rose from the dead. And the New Testament always singles out Sunday as the single most important day in remembrance of the resurrection. Uh, Warren Wiersbe, he would write that the Sabbath commemorates God's finished work of creation, and the Lord's Day commemorates Christ's finished work of redemption, the new creation. So in our text, when we read that the disciples were together, we know that Thomas, that he wasn't there because he comes in later. We know that Judas has already hung himself. The two from Emmaus were among them, and there could have been even more people. They're together, and they've locked the doors. They're in this room cowering in fear because they're afraid of the Jews. They're afraid because they're a leader. Because Jesus, he had been arrested, he had been crucified as a revolutionary. They were guilty by association, and probably already on all the most wanted lists, their pictures were probably going up in every post office in Jerusalem. On top of that, the body of Jesus, it's missing. Well, the religious authorities, they don't have his body. The Romans, they don't have his body. So, the most obvious conclusion is that the disciples do. And it wouldn't be long before the police come knocking on the door. So, what do they do? They've barricaded themselves in a room. They're hiding. Maybe they're planning, how are we going to get out of Jerusalem? Do we disguise ourselves? Do we go out at night? We're not by the wall, so we can't just go out in a basket like they've done in the past. And then suddenly, with absolutely no warning, out of the blue, Jesus appears. And he says, peace be with you. And somehow, somehow Jesus in his resurrection body, he's able to come through these locked doors and he doesn't even knock. He just shows up. And our text says that it was doors There's more than one door. They've probably locked the front gate. They've locked the back door, the front door, the side door. They've locked up tight. And they're huddling in fear in a room. But understand that nothing can keep Jesus out. Nothing. And I wonder, as Jesus appeared to them, as he shows himself to his disciples, what what was their first reaction? Did they feel guilty? Were they ashamed? Were they embarrassed because they thought Jesus was going to rebuke them and give them a dressing down because they failed to stand with him in his time of need? Luke chapter 24 tells us that they were startled, that they were frightened when Jesus appeared. And instead of taking them to task for hiding away like scared little kids, Jesus blesses them when he says, peace be be with you. And I'm sure this would have startled them because they're not expecting Jesus to say, peace be with you. And this is so much deeper than just coming in and saying, hey guys, what's up? Did you miss me? See, in the Jewish culture, shalom, peace, it's a state of wholeness. It's it's a state of harmony. And And that peace is intended to resonate in all of their relationships. And when it was used as a greeting, when you'd say, peace, shalom, it was a wish for outward freedom from disturbance as well as that inner sense of peace. And to a people who had been constantly harassed and and bowed down to, to, to these Roman occupiers, peace was a premier blessing for them. 
Now, the New Testament describes at least three areas of peace. And the first of those is that we can have peace with God. We can have peace with God. And that is a vertical dimension to our Father in heaven. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 tells us, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we can have the peace of God. And that's something that takes place inside of us internally. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 7, Paul would write, Do not be anxious about anything. That right there is a whole sermon. But do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And when we have peace with God, when we experience the peace of God, then we can go to that horizontal area and we can have peace with others. We can have peace with others. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And you need to understand, Jesus didn't say, I want you to be peacekeepers. I want you to enforce the peace. He says, I want you to be a peacemaker. Understand, it takes effort and it takes energy to bring conflict to an end. And when we work at giving grace and solving conflict with others, the truth, the truth is we're simply doing what God does. And just a little thought. Maybe today, maybe today you're holding on to a grudge. Maybe somebody wronged you. Maybe, maybe somebody let you down. Maybe somebody hurt you. You need to settle it as soon as possible. You need to take care of it because conflict between people, especially God's people, it only eats away at your spirit and it takes away your joy. Let it go and be a peacemaker. Jesus offers us peace today, but it's different than what the world offers us because our culture, our world, it tells us that peace, that peace is it's just the absence of something. It means that there's no conflict, there's no war, there, there's no disagreement, there's no worry, there's no trials and tribulations. And that's what the disciples were probably thinking as they tried to, to, to force out their fears and their concerns. See, Jesus, he provides peace as the presence of someone, even when we're in the middle of a mess. John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. In this world you will have trouble and trials and bad things are going to happen in this world. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And that peace that he gives us, the peace that Jesus gives us, it extends in three dimensions. And the first, of the, the first of those is that we can be at peace with our past. We can have peace with our past. Because some of us today, we really need to hear this truth. Because getting past the past, it is so much easier said than done. And the truth is, whatever's lurking back there in your past, it's been forgiven if you've asked for forgiveness. Allow his presence and his peace to bring wholeness. And I want you to remember the promise of Psalm 103, verse 12. It says, as far as, far as the east is from the west, which is pretty far because I don't know how far that could actually go because it would just be infinity, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. We can be at peace with our past. Next, we can be at peace with our present. We can be at peace with our present. And, and right now, what are you worried about? What is it that you're worried about? Is it your marriage, your finances, your health? Jesus came to bind up the brokenhearted, 
And the last one is we can be at peace with our future. We can be at peace with our future. Some of you are probably afraid of what the future holds. You're, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Just ask Jesus to give you his peace so you can quit worrying. Do you want that peace? Or do you want to hide away in a corner afraid? Don't lock yourself behind thick walls. Instead, what you need to do is embrace the perfect peace that only he can give you. We need to embrace his peace. The next way we can forget our fears is we can examine his proof. We can examine his proof. Not only did Jesus proclaim peace, he also invited the disciples to examine the proof of his resurrection. Verse 20, it says, when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus showed them that now his body, it's whole, it's living, it's, he's alive. After being broken and bruised and battered, he showed them his hands, and they saw the scars from the nails. And he would have opened his robe and showed them where that spear had sliced open his side. It gave them a touch of reality. They had heard from the women the women had said, the body's gone. I saw Jesus. They heard from Peter. They heard from the two guys who were headed to Emmaus. And now they could examine the proof for themselves. John, later in life, reflecting on this event, he writes in the first verse of 1 John, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, I don't know how else you see things, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Think of how, how John is explaining how all of the senses are involved. They heard with their ears, they saw with their eyes, they touched with their hands. And even in Luke chapter 24, Jesus ate some fish that he cooked on coals. Even that sense of smell would have been invoked as he broiled that fish. One of the key ways to forget your fears is to examine the proof that Jesus is alive today. Christianity, it's not just a system of rules. It's not just a set of regulations that we're meant to keep. And it's not a fairy tale. It's a real relationship with the living Lord Jesus Christ. And when, the, when those disciples, when they examined the proof. They were overjoyed. And it's even suggestive of what Jesus had told them before he died. In John 16, verse 22, he said, so also you have sorrow now. He says, I know you're upset, but I'll see you again. And your hearts will rejoice. And no one, no one will take your joy from you. See, now that Jesus has been raised back to life, now that we know that he's alive, you and I, we can have joy that will never disappear. It will never go away. Remember the promise of Isaiah chapter 25, verse 9. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. As we continue to look at this passage, it becomes clear that Jesus not only gives us peace and proof just for our own sake, he also calls us to his purposes. The third way to forget our fears is to engage in his purpose. We need to engage in his purpose. We've been given confirmation, but we've also been given a commission recognizing that his followers, that they're still afraid, they're, they're still hiding in this room, Jesus once again declares in verse 21, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. And what's happening is his peace is being given to us so that we'll get busy with his purpose. 
We've been saved not to sit in a pew. We have been saved so that we can be sent out into the world. The disciples, they, they were, they're given a message that, that it can't be kept in some locked room. Understand, we can't get too comfortable in the walls of this building. You can't get comfortable just staying in your own home. The gospel, the gospel, it must go out. It can't stay inside. Someone put it this way. Christianity doesn't simply put out its sign and come on in. Christianity puts its shoes on and goes. That's why Isaiah chapter uh, 52 verse 7 puts it on this like this and focuses on the feet. It says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The first use of the word peace in verse 19, it was given just to quiet their hearts, to settle them down. And the second piece was given in order to prepare them for a fresh statement of their purpose that was initially given in John chapter 17, verse 18. Jesus says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus says, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. Paul would, would state our mission like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Because the truth there is that Jesus sends us out into the world just as God the Father sent him into the world. And, and there's several implications from what's going on here. And the first of those is we must take the initiative. We have to take the initiative. Jesus, as Jesus went into the world, we're supposed to go to others too. We can't just sit back and wait for people to come to us. It doesn't work that way. We have to take the initiative. Second one, some of you might have an easier time with this. Second one, we must open our mouths. People won't know the truth unless they hear the truth. We are supposed to speak the truth, just like he did. The third one is we must live what we say. Uh, just as Jesus uh, validated, um, demonstrated the validity of his message by what he did, we have to as well. Because the truth is that for some people, the only Bible that they're ever going to read in their life is you and how you live, and how you treat people. The next one, we must be prepared for opposition. That's the simple truth. We have to be prepared that people aren't going to like what we have to say. And it shouldn't surprise us when people, when they laugh at us, when they ridicule us, when they make fun of us because of our message or the way we try to live our lives. His peace... And his proof that he's given us, it's just not there so we can bask in our relationship with him, but so that we can live out his purpose. Feeling a little overwhelmed? That's why the next, two, next words in John 20, verse 22 are so important. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. He not only commissions us, he gives us the Holy Spirit as a companion so that we can embody his presence and do the job that he has for us. 
So that next thing, the next way we can forget our fears is to embody His presence. We can embody His presence. Uh, we've, been, we've been given an assignment. He's given us marching orders. We've been empowered by the gift of the Holy Spirit to, to accomplish it. The Holy Spirit's not just with us to keep us company. The Holy Spirit's not with us just to help meet our needs. And we see that by looking at that word breathe. It's actually the only time that that word's used in the New Testament. But it, at least, it appears at least four times in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, where the word breath, it also means spirit. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Psalm 33, verse 6, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. Ezekiel chapter 37 verse 5 says, Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. Now I want you to listen this morning. Just as God's breath made the first creation, the breath of Jesus makes the new creation. We embody the very presence of God because the Holy Spirit was given to all believers 50 days later at Pentecost. When Jesus, blew, when, when Jesus blew the Spirit out on them, it was just a prelude to what would happen. At this moment of greatest need, for the disciples, the Savior, He promises to place His Spirit in each of us individually. We are God's house. This is not God's house. You are, and He lives in each of us when you know Him as your Savior. Listen to what the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit will do. In Luke 12, it says, he, He'll give us the words to say. The Holy Spirit will guide our speech in John 16, the Holy Spirit will convict us and our listeners of sin. In John 6, uh, the Holy Spirit converts a hard heart. In John 14, He sustains us in the difficult times. In, in Romans chapter 8, He gives us focus and substance to our prayers. In 1 Corinthians 12, the Holy Spirit gives us the abilities to do what God's called us to do. In Galatians chapter 5, the Holy Spirit gives us Christ-like qualities. And when the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit's allowed to work in our lives, He'll surprise us again and again by what we can do. See, He didn't leave us alone. We're not in this by ourselves. He's provided all the help that we need. And, and I take great comfort in knowing that God doesn't call the equipped. God equips the called. Don't think that you have to meet some standard before God can use you. If he calls you, he will equip you. The next one is exclaim his proclamation. We need to exclaim his proclamation. The last verse of our text adds one final way to forget our fears. Verse 23, it says, If you forgive the sin of any, they are forgiven of them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And, and it's, a little, it's a little difficult because we know from Mark chapter 2 that no one can forgive sin except God alone. Uh, but going back to Warren Wearsby, he provides a helpful explanation. He said, whosoever sins you forgive shall have already been forgiven them. And whoever sins you do not forgive shall have already not been forgiven them. In other words, basically, the disciples weren't providing the forgiveness they were simply proclaiming forgiveness. Even the NIV study Bible puts it this way, God does not forgive people's sins because we do, nor does he withhold forgiveness because we do, because we like to hold grudges. 
Rather, those who proclaim the gospel are in effect forgiving or not forgiving sins, depending on whether the hearer accepts or rejects Jesus. See, basically, if, if you are telling people about this forgiveness that we can find in Jesus, then you are extending forgiveness to them. And if they respond, they are indeed forgiven. But if you don't tell them, you are not extending forgiveness, and their sins won't be forgiven. See, we can only declare what God has already done for all of us. We're simply meant to proclaim the message of forgiveness, and God performs the miracle of forgiveness. Several years ago, there was a submarine that was out doing testing maneuvers, and it was, had to be submerged overnight. And when it got back to the harbor, uh, the captain was asked, so how did you guys do in that horrible storm last night? And the submarine, is he a captain on a submarine? I guess he is. Whatever, the guy in charge of the submarine. He says, what storm? We, it, we slept like babies last night. See, that submarine had been so far beneath the surface that it reached what was known to sailors as the cushion of the sea. Even though up on the surface there may be waves and, and storms, go down deep enough and everything is calm and peaceful. So let me ask, have you ever experienced the cushion of the Savior? See those waves of worry, those waves of fear? They can't touch somebody who is resting in Christ. What are you afraid of today? What is it that makes your heart race? What is it that keeps you up at night? See, we need to move from faith from fear to faith. We need to let go and start trusting God and allowing Him to use us because we don't have anything to be afraid of. This morning, one of the things that I think we need more than anything is an awakening. That we need to get woken up from our slumber and our inactivity, and our just lack of trusting that God's got everything in control, because He does. He's given us a message that can save people, that takes people literally from death into life. And He's asked us to go out and tell people. So today... Maybe you are struggling and you're just afraid. You're afraid that God can't use me. I don't have anything to offer. I'm just not good enough. I'm not smart enough. Whatever it is that your fear, forget it. Ask him to breathe on you, to awake your soul. Ask him to breathe new life into you because if you know him, you are a new creation. You aren't the person you were. And you don't have to be that person any longer. So this morning as the worship team comes, I want to put a couple things on the table for you. First, if you don't know Christ, if you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, take the opportunity this morning to put your faith and your trust and your hope in him and him alone. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You're not going to get right with God by being a good person or doing good things. You are only going to be right with God by knowing Christ personally. Second, maybe you're afraid today. Maybe it's money, finances, relationships. Put it in his hands. Let God work in that situation and trust that ultimately, even if it's something horrible, that God will use it for good. 
Maybe today you need to be awakened and ask him to breathe that life into you. And the last thing is maybe you want to say, God, Highland Hills is the place that I want to be part of. I want to be part of this local body of believers and be part of this fellowship and be on mission with these other believers reaching out to this lost world with the only hope that people need. And you can do that, and you can say, I want to be part of this fellowship today. So I'm going to ask everybody to sing and stand. And if you need to be awakened today, ask him to breathe on you. Awake, awake. No, nope. I'm not in the right key. Sorry, guys. I can't do that. Here you go. Awake, awake, awake my soul. Sing that with me. for Bible study, and if you are in grades 6 through 12, you get to hang out with him. He might be more fun than me. Probably. <laughs> uh, but make sure you're here Wednesday night for Bible study or for youth. Uh, next Sunday, don't forget, if you want to be involved with VBS and you haven't signed up and you want a little more information, um, just after the service on Sunday morning, we're going to have a brief meeting uh, talking about that, sharing some more information and getting you involved and it's going to start June 20th, I think. Is the, I think you said it. I thought it was the 19th, and then it's the 20th. <laughs> Calendars, this newfangled thing. But please be a part of that. Uh, it's a great way to reach out to the, to, the, to the families and the children in the community, and we'd love for you to be involved in that. I'm going to ask Adam if you would dismiss us in prayer. And awesome. Let us pray. 
Most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we ask again just to awake our soul and breathe on us, Lord. Give us that peace um, as we go through this week, Lord. Give us that peace just to face the future, to forget our past, and to continue on, Lord, as we live in the present. Um, allow us, Lord, to just be one with you and not to worry. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah. 
from heaven you came running there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the
Oh, no, Thursday I'll be here. Tuesday and Wednesday I'll be down at Clear Creek taking finals. So they give you a little bit extra if you drive down there. Not that I need it. But.